Please open your Bibles for a scripture reading to Second Corinthians, excuse me, First Corinthians chapter one. We'll be looking at verses four through nine. First Corinthians one, verses four through nine. Paul says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. That in everything you are enriched by Him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called to the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are in awe of Your grace to us. Lord, we are, as Dennis mentioned this morning, unlovable people. Uh, The only thing that is lovable about us is the truth that uh, you made us in your image. Lord, we in our sin have broken, we have uh, shattered that image, uh, Lord, but uh, you have sent the one true image of God, Jesus Christ, your Son, to restore that in us. We praise you for that. Lord, you desired, because of your fellowship that you have always enjoyed for all eternity within the Father, Son, and the Spirit, to share that fellowship and that love with us. Lord, that's why you made us. We've gone astray from that fellowship, but you have brought us back through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that our lives would stand and walk in connection with the truth that we are deeply flawed but deeply loved. We have... Turn to be ruined sinners, but you have reclaimed us for your glory through Jesus. And I pray that the truth of this text and grace that outdistances our sin and pursues us and completes us in Jesus Christ and will finish the work that you've begun till you return. I pray that it would press deeply in our hearts, that we would rejoice in our identity in you. And Lord, it would cause us to rejoice in the signs of grace and the work of God in the lives and behalf of others. This morning, Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters uh, around the globe who are worshiping you. Lord, we understand that there are brothers and sisters who are in bonds, who are in prison for their faith, and we are to remember them as though we are in prison with them. I pray that the ministering uh, truth of God through the Comforter, your Holy Spirit would 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 build them up here in whatever their situation this morning. Thank you, Lord, that it is many times through the persecution of your church that uh, the gospel is proven to be true over and over again and flourishes and grows and shows genuineness. And Lord, we pray for our uh, missionary Niki Su ministering in a very Buddhist village in Myanmar experience uh, difficulties and persecutions uh, because of the countercultural uh, claims of Jesus Christ as Lord on the lives of him and his people. 
Lord, we pray that you would enable them to love their enemies, to be a blessing and not a curse, to show the love of Jesus Christ and the call to repentance and faith for forgiveness of sins that Jesus Christ offers and the new standing that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for our fellow churches in the area who are striving together for the gospel. Lord, excuse me, Lord, this morning we ask for uh, the Washington Village Church, Lord, that you would uh, uh, establish that church uh, with, a, with a greater and greater uh, fervency for the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and his gospel. Thank you for bringing uh, Pastor uh, Bean on board, and I pray that you would empower him with your word and message. Thank you, Lord, for the clusters of, of people in all lo- local places and, and, uh, and, and, and uh, who come from a variety of jobs and occupations and home situations and, and uh, incomes and, and uh, influences, Lord, that you brought together in Christ. Thank you for the unity that is found in Jesus. I pray that we would walk out of that. In Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Just the batteries here in the uh, wireless microphone. As I'm doing so, I'd like to read a short thank you note here from Matthew uh, Mank. Thank you for the plaque and restaurant gift certificate. It was a complete surprise. I have enjoyed caring for the church finances over the years and look forward to continuing to do so with appreciation, Matthew. And that was a joy Thursday at our annual meeting to say thank you for the over 25 years, I think 26 years at least, here of uh, him caring for this part of our ministry and appreciate all of those who uh, use their gifts for the building up of Jesus Christ Church. Let's direct our attention back to 1 Corinthians this morning. This is a, a challenging book. It's an exciting book. It's a rich book. There is so much to be gained from here. I wonder, in your life here, if you have people on your mind that have caused you grief. Difficult people. Of course, if we're honest, all of us have fit that occasion and that description at one time or another. Who are they? Those people who are very easy to be irritated by. The people who drive you nuts. Who are very hard to appreciate. What if I told you that this morning's passage can take those difficult people and see them as opportunity to find joy and reward in heaven? This morning I'd like to bring you a message from 1 Corinthians 1, 4-9 called, Because... Of his grace. Apparently the wireless mic isn't working, Josh, so we'll have to just depend on this one here this morning. (coughs) Because of his grace, God's grace, I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit uses passage here to transform your mind and renew you into the mind of Christ to flip your attitude toward those difficult people into opportunities. And to thank God for His grace that is really at work in you. The invisible grace of God at work in you. But also in them. Yeah, those people. That these verses here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4-9 through 9, are at the beginning of the letter that Paul writes is not a surprise because he has over and over uh, done this in many of his letters. In fact, we could take a trail through Paul's 13 letters and you could see uh, consistently he first of all starts off over and over with, I thank God for you. 
and many times, here's why. So that's not surprising to us. But it is a surprise that he does this to this church, who is caused to much grief and much pain. They have discouraged him. They have hurt his heart. In fact, when you read the, the corresponding letter, 2 Corinthians, you find out that the, the, the church has, has put Paul, to, uh, brought him to a place in his life where he says, I really had no hope left, but I clung to the one hope that I had. In fact, let me just show you the, the depth of, of where the, uh, the backbiting and the stubbornness and rebellion of this church has led Paul to. He starts off talking about the saints of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And he says this in verse 8. He says, We were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But he said, We had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises us from the dead. In other words, Paul said, came to a point where I realized this is Jesus' work. There's only so much I could pour out. There's only so much I could give. And so I had to anchor my soul in behalf on my love for this church and, and the love for Christ's work in building believers. I had to make sure my feet were firmly planted in the hope of Jesus Christ. And I, Paul, had to die. And I, Paul, had to live in Jesus. This passage here tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, 4-9 that no one is beyond the grace of God. And when the grace of God works, it takes every one of us, and yes again, those people, it takes us beyond what we can imagine. And it drops us to our knees in thankfulness for where God is at work by His grace. I don't know where you are this morning. Perhaps you came here discouraged. Uh, perhaps there are burdens that are pressing very heavy on your heart. Perhaps you have been hurt by other people. And this morning I want to show you the, the reality of God's grace and the identity that He's placed you in, but also the reality of His grace at work in the hearts and lives of other people. Verses 4 through 8 form one single one commentator said, convoluted sentence. It's a long sentence. But the flow of thought can be traced easily here. Paul here writing to these Corinthians here over uh, in, in, in Greece uh, uh, and, 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 and about four or five years after he has ministered and, and introduced the gospel to them in about A.D. 55 or so. Uh, Paul here writes this letter and, 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 and these words here as grounds for thanksgiving here are stated in verse 4. He says, I can thank God because of the grace given you in Christ. Verse 5, he elaborates the grounds in terms of the specific gifts of grace that God has given them. Which he says is the confirmation of the truth of God, the good news of Jesus in their hearts. In verse 6. And then, in the rest of the flow of the passage, as a result of God's confirming the gospel among them in this way, they lack no gift that was available to them in this age as they await the final coming of Jesus to finish everything up. And then verse 8 brings this sentence in verses 4 through 8 to conclusion. He shifts the focus from the past. So we're talking about the past, the present, and the, go and the future of the gospel. He shifts the focus from the past 
to what God will yet do for them when Jesus Christ himself touches his feet down on this earth. He'll confirm them completely to the end. And then verse 9 starts another sentence and closes the doctor with a summary. And it's an exclamation that emphasizes the faithfulness of God to accomplish this future glory in light of their current, past, and present calling. This morning I'd like you to see, first of all, the grace that we have standing in Christ. Look in verse 4. I thank my God always on your behalf, or concerning you, for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. First of all, I'd like you to know here, and it's very obvious here, but this grace that is given to believers, to these Corinthians, and to believers in extension here, is given in Christ. Grace is the gospel of God's undeserving activity to the worst hell-bound sinners, you and I, to deliver us from our sin and guilt into Christ. He is the source of grace. Notice what he says in verse 4. The grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Grace cannot be earned. It must be received as the gift of God. And Jesus is the source of grace. And he has poured his grace like a waterfall into people who he saves. Not because of us, but in spite of us. As enemies of God, Paul says in Romans. And Jesus is the means of this grace. Now, throughout the 13 letters that Paul writes, he uses a very specific phrase that seems to be one of his favorite things to say. And it's two words. In Christ. In Christ. He uses that phrase 164 times throughout the New Testament. But 10 of those times are in the first few verses, the first 10 verses of 1 Corinthians 1. So Jesus is the means of this grace because he has delivered us from sin, but not just from sin, but into him, into himself, into Christ. And so Paul says, I give thanks. And the way he says I give thanks, he's used a word that means I continually give thanks. I give thanks at all times. In other words, I give thanks in every opportunity, in every situation, He has a regular flow of thanksgiving to the throne room of God that is rising up to God for the work of God in them. Now remember, and we'll see this in more detail throughout the weeks as we go through this book, but this is a church that has some severe problems. And yet Paul says, I thank God for His grace at work in you. They're suing each other, bringing each other to court. There is immorality with, with temple prostitutes. There's immorality uh, uh, within even uh, their own family members. There is a, a, a false understanding of the resurrection, one of the core truths of the gospel. People are using the special grace gifts that God has given to them for their own benefit instead of building up the church in very selfish ways. And this is what Paul says to them. I thank God for the work of grace that I see in you. Now, it tells me that a spiritual mature person rises above their circumstances in faith. Okay. An immature person can only see their circumstances and focuses on what's wrong, but a spiritually mature person can see God at work. They have their, they, these blinders removed. They are able to see in a, in a fuller way because of their 
growing trust and dependence on God, uh, the, 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 the invisible work of God that is behind the scenes. And they rise above their circumstances. They see God's work that they can always thank God about. What are you facing this morning? What are the difficulties you are facing this morning? And I want you to ask this question. How can I thank God for that this morning? That's a revolutionary question. A very simple question, but a revolutionary question. And I think as Paul thought about all the things that he had to, he had to come face to face with, he had to write and he had to address, he had to come to a point where he said, what can I thank God for about these people? And he probably had to scratch his head a little bit. But he says, this is what I could thank God for. Who he has made them in Christ. Now they're walking out of that was pretty poor. But he thanks God for the foundation that has been laid, their identity in Christ. You know, every one of us, as we grow in maturity and as we know each other more and more, and as we see each other's imperfections and our own perfections, and we live in a broken world, do we see God's hand of grace upon other people's lives? Are we really aware of that? Do we even stop and think about that? Or do we have such a blockade in our mind and a blindness that we're missing what God is really doing behind the scenes? I believe because God has made every human being in the image of God and He has bestowed upon the just and the unjust His common grace that there is always something we can thank God for about a person. And how much more so for those who are redeemed in Christ along with you? Here's the question I want us to consider. How do you need to be offering more thanks to God? You see, the mark of a mature heart, a mark of a growing believer, is not a diminishing thankfulness and gratitude in their hearts to God. Not a dwelling on the negatives, though it also doesn't mean we ignore the negatives, but not a dwelling on the negatives, but an enlarging of our hearts and thankfulness for what God has done in His work of grace. Seeing more and more of His work in the lives of others, and not just having that in our heads, but like Paul, literally speaking these things to other people. Literally writing notes to other people about how we are thankful for God's work of grace in our lives in the specific ways we've seen that. Because friends, is your mouth empty of praise for others? If your mouth and my mouth is empty of praise for others, you know what that re- reveals? If we have such a hard time uh, uh, and an emptiness of praise of God's grace at work in others, you know what our hearts have become full of? Ourselves. And Paul here was laying out his life for these people. And he's going to have very hard things to say to them. But he begins by seeing the grace in which they stand and praising God and thanking God for them in that. So here's an evaluative question for each of us. When was the last time I praised someone? When was the last time I thanked someone? How about those who you live regularly with each day, like your family members? That's where it starts, right? What about your co-workers? What about those in this body here in this church? Who are your real family members? What about others? 
And if the question is, and the answer to that question is, it's been a while, then that should be a little red flag here saying, I'm a proud and selfish person. And I repent of that. And I need to affirm God's grace in other people's lives. Secondly, I'd like you to notice the grace riches in Christ. Verse 5 and 6. That in everything you are enriched by Him, by Jesus Christ, in all utterance or speech, and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. He, he says, you are enriched. It's a picture of wealth. And Dennis read to us this morning the riches that we have in Christ. And he says, you are enriched and you are wealthy in this way that you have these gifts of grace, these spiritual gifts, and specifically two gifts he, he lists here. He says, you are enriched in all kinds of speech of the truth and all kinds of knowledge of the truth. In other words, they had the ability to know and they had the ability to articulate the truth. That was very evident as a response of God's grace. The, the knowledge of who God is and who, he, and who Jesus was and what He has done for us. They, they, had a, they excelled in that, he says. And they were very good at articulating those truths. Apollos had come along and had established them and taught them more fully. Other teachers had come along. But what is remarkable here is that the, you have this Apostle Paul who is able to thank God for the very things that later on in, verses, in chapters 12 through 14 the church abuses. Their speech, their utterances are being used for the wrong reasons. Their knowledge, he says, is puffing them up. But Paul still recognizes that those things were delivered to them by God, but their application of those were wrong. You know, our... Paul recognizes that their problems was not in their gifts, but in their attitude toward their gifts later on. And because these gifts have come from God, as God is the God who loves to give good gifts, Paul is bound to give thanks for them. They are good things that have been misused, that have gone sour. And so in his thanksgiving, Paul gives genuine thanks to God for the Corinthians themselves and for God's grace at work in them, having gifted them. But at the same time, he redirects their focus. He redirects their focus in a couple ways. He says, you are genuinely gifted by God. Later on in the letter, he's going to reveal they're pretty self-satisfied. They're uh, boasting as mere human beings. Uh, but he uh, lays it out and says, this is from God. They stress the gifts. Paul stress, stresses the activity of God who gifts his people. They are given by God. They are grace gifts. And there can be no grounds for boasting in their part. And so Paul's dilemma here is to convince the Corinthians to share God's view of these gifts, to be used for His glory. They, are, they later on are arrogantly boasting about the very things that as gifts should not be the source of personal boasting. And so Paul is re redirecting their focus from their graces to God who has given them in Christ and whom they've been made Available. Look what he says again in verse 4. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ that in everything you are enriched by Him in all utterance and in all knowledge even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. In other words, what Paul is saying and we'll see this later on is that they don't lack a spiritual gift but they haven't yet arrived. 
They haven't yet arrived. So he brings them in reality too and says there's more work to be done. What he's saying to them is that uh, their gifts uh, have been given through a, a solid understanding of Jesus Christ. They have the ability to speak that knowledge of Christ and the Holy Spirit has given them through teaching a good foundation of knowledge of the truth and they have the ability to open their mouth and speak of Christ. And Paul says it showed evidence, not because of their misuse, but because they had these gifts, that they had received saving grace from Christ. And Christ was in them. In fact, Paul says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, was firmly established in you, when you have witnesses in a court of law, um, the judge has to decide if those witnesses are credible witnesses. And the jury decides that, right? Um, uh, And Paul says, he uses a legal term, that word confirmed is a legal term. Paul says it has been declared that God is at work in you through these gifts that you have, that you're using. You're using them wrongly, but they are there. And so, what he's saying is, God inside of you made these things register in your heart through the teaching of the power of the Holy Spirit, and God confirmed this. This is God's riches that are being worked out in you. And so, this is all about God's grace. God has secured them in grace. God has offered His grace. He has extended His grace. He has purchased them in grace. And God makes them able to receive uh, uh, these things because notice the wording there. It's passive. It's the idea here in verse 5, verse 4. The grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ and everything. You are enriched by Him. The testament of Christ was confirmed in you. So it's God at work here. It's a securing grace. He's saying, you are not lacking in the grace gifts that God has given to build the church. In other words, everything that God has given to build up His church here in wholeness as a glorious temple of Jesus Christ that God dwells in, that glorifies God, is in you. In contrast to the pagans. And he's going to build on that and say, now live that out. Grace, riches in Christ, Paul is thankful for. But thirdly, a grace guarantee in Christ. I think it's amazing that God's grace isn't just like floating out there, like hope, hopefully it, you know, it'll do something for you. But God sees it as the very power through which he will bring his work to completion. Look what he says here. He's already said in verse 6, the testament of Christ is confirmed in you. He said verse, now he says verse 7, so that you come behind or are not lacking. You come behind in no gift. So you're not lacking in any gift. Waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also, again that word, confirm, firmly establish, you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there is a guarantee. If God has saved you, His grace guarantees you a confirmation till the end. Right? This is what we have termed a security that is eternal. Right? Uh, and what Paul is saying is, as you guys are, are, are eagerly awaiting here the unveiling of the glory of Christ. Uh, the, he says, you are waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word waiting there is literally eagerly awaiting. The unveiling of the glory of Christ. He's not talking about when the church will be caught up. 
He's talking about when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom and he puts his feet down on the earth, the second coming of Jesus, the unveiling of Jesus. But we are caught up, we are unveiled. When he, when he comes, he is unveiled to the whole world. The unveiling of the glory of Christ. Because Paul knows, as John says later in his, uh, one of his later epistles, because when we see him, Jesus unveiled in all his glory, we will be like him. And Paul can say, you are, when Jesus finishes the work, when he comes and touches his feet to this earth and rules and reigns, Paul understands when he does that, it's proof that everything he said was true and you are confirmed in him, you will be complete in him. When Jesus comes in his second coming, as he says in Acts 1, he'll return the same way he left. When he comes to reign, Paul is saying, you look eagerly for that. And the reason you look eagerly for that is because it is to motivate you, Corinthians. It's to motivate you, South Pope, to live rightly and to continue his work to keep pressing on. Because the day will come when no man can work to keep doing his work till he returns. The revelation of Jesus Christ by sight and that second coming when his feet touch the earth again is the motivation here, Paul says, to keep on keeping on. To not live in laxivity. To not coast. He speaks about the day of the Lord. The day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a term used frequently in the Old Testament. It's the idea of the day of judgment. And Paul here is taking the grace of God and he's framing the grace of God from past to now future. And he's motivating them to be thankful right now and to live rightly now as you look for the finished work. In the meantime as God brings them along. So there's a guarantee in Christ. And folks, on your worst day, you need this in front of you. On your best day, you need this in front of you. Jesus is working to bring you to Him. Time on this earth, and as we know it, will one day be very different. And Jesus has saved us for eternity. This life is a very short little dot on the eternal vast rope of eternity, isn't it? Rejoice in God's grace to you, but live it out. And fourthly, this is so wonderful, these words that we may quickly pass over and say, yeah, I know that. In verse 9 he says, God is faithful by whom you are called to the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we know people who have been saved have begun forgiveness of sins and God has called us out of darkness into the kingdom of His light. But He's called us into the kingdom of His light. And the kingdom of His light is the fellowship of His Son who is the light of the world. The blazing glory of God. And so Paul here is thanking God for the grace of Sonship in Christ. Notice what he says again. Look at it closely. God is faithful. He will accomplish this. By whom you were called to the fellowship of his son. And we don't have time to unpack this in other passages this morning. But what he is saying is that uh, through the gospel, God has taken us who are orphans spiritually. Dead in our sins. And he has placed us into his family. 
And He has given us a true Father. We are His true sons. We are just as true His Son, just as God's Son, Jesus Christ, is His Son. The difference, obviously, between us and Jesus Christ's Son is Jesus Christ's Son is eternal. And we are not. We are created. But that's the mercy and that's the amazement of grace. That God has placed the same love that He speaks of for His beloved Son, who He has always enjoyed, and brings us into that. And that's what Paul is reminding the Corinthians about, and you and I need to understand that as well. We need to thank God's grace for what He has done for me and bringing me into His grace. But friends, those who are redeemed, God has done that same work and He has brought them into sonship with Jesus. God sees us as His sons. God sees us as He sees His Son. We're not mushrooms that grow up quick and then decay. We are acorns that grow into oak trees in the eyes of God. Not because we're awesome, but because He's awesome. And we'll never fall away. But we'll continue to the end. To the end of the age when the day of judgment will come. And Paul can say, we will have no charge that will be able to be brought against us. Because God will bring us to the end because we have been placed in a communal participation. We share. We are participants. We are shareholders with each other, with Jesus. We have a common share. And this verse 9 is telling us it's not simply or primarily the experience of being together as Christians which is shared. It is because we are in Christ that makes being together with Christians. As sharing that, um, uh, that, that building block that makes it so special. We have a status of being in Christ. Being shareholders in a sonship that has come from the direct sonship of Jesus. Remember, He's the vine. We're the branches. I mean, if you don't have a branch that's connected to the vine, you have problems, right? But... We're connected to the vine. We have the sap of His Spirit that flows through us. He's the head. We're the body, right? What good is the body without the head? We're connected. What good is the head without the body? He's the groom. We're the bride. We are sons of God brought to a new father. And friends, to delight in God for His working in the lives of others, even in the lives of whom we may feel compelled to disagree, is a sure sign, is a sure mark of God's grace, the sure sign of the Spirit's work in us, of being the recipient of God's mercies. And thus it was with Paul. You see, in every person there is evidence of the grace of God, and especially in every redeemed person. Person, and that brings forth Paul's gratitude to God and for them. Now, what would life have been like if these people, the Corinthians, had responded to the truth of that right there? They got a hold of that. Life would have been very different for them, right? I'm sure there were people who, at the end of their life in this church here, had regrets and said, Man, we really missed it. I'm glad for God's grace that brought us back on track, right? What would life have been like if these recipients of this letter had ignored this truth? Well, we find a little bit about that because there's some struggles back and forth and Paul has to send Titus to confront them. 
uh, here, and, and it was not happy, and so it is with us. And we fight against God, and we, and, and, we, and we forget the grace of God that has made us who we are. It's a very shrink-wrapped, suffocating, sad life. What does this passage tell us about God? It tells us that His work is not something that is passive. His work of grace is something that is very active and at work in all of us. And He has a goal and a destination in mind when He saved you. And it was to bring you in greater conformity with himself, to bring you closer to his heart. But what is this scripture saying to me in this passage? Well, do you have some of these same weaknesses that these Corinthians have? Pride? Selfishness? Tendencies to follow? uh, Temptations? Are the temptations these people face yours? Why, certainly. Have you seen your life warped as a result of following some of these temptations? Yeah. We've seen that, right? We've seen the consequences of following sin and pride. You know when you might be more likely to fall into these sins. And you've seen the habits and practices that exist in your life that contribute to these problems. You've seen how your life may have suffered as a result of forgetting that you're in God's grace and you didn't deserve it. Your selfish decisions have affected others. Your Life and ministry have been limited, but folks, think of the flip side here. Think what God can do when we say no to this and we say yes to God's grace. We say yes to God's grace in the room of our mind, being renewed. Our appetites and desires, we're saved by God for God, right? We're saved by God for fellowship and good talks and change with Jesus. How would it change the places of work we exist in? How would it change our recreation where we go to relax and have fun? Our marriages, our relationships with each other in this church, serving the family of God. We understand the affirmation of grace that's placed in our lives. Now, some of you have walked with God for many, many years. You've grown, and you've cooled. You've grown warmer, and you've cooled. But I want to remind you that the only way you're going to grow warmer, regardless of how long you walk with the Lord, is thanking God for His grace to you. That's where it all starts. It sounds cliché. But it's only cliche if you just keep it on the surface and you don't really think about what that means. I can think of people who have practiced affirmation in the lives of others. People who are encouraging. People who seem to see things that uh, are true of God's work at grace and encourage others in this way. I can see how it bears fruit and how it fills the sails here, not of our own egos, but it directs our eyes to God-centered affirmation. I think of people like uh, Jean and Olson, who doesn't want to be pointed out this morning, I know, but is someone who through the years has, has been an encouragement with her, with her um, uh, seeing the good in people. Uh, Vic Pease, he texts me every once in a while and says, thankful for you, and lists something he's, he's, he's thankful for. 
What would it be if we all were like that? A church full of people who build and encourage each other up. Yes, I know there's things that need to be torn down. Right? You can't build up until some things are torn down. And those things need to be addressed. Right? But what if we had a culture of this grace in our church? Where we could look at people and we could look beyond the eyes of our flesh and look with the eyes of Jesus and say, I'm thankful for what God has done in this way. Or how He's made you and equipped you in this way. There's a wonderful little book. It's a short little book called Practicing Affirmation. And I was going through it here and thinking of the connections with this passage here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just share a few things this evening uh, from it and kind of flesh this out here. But the, 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 the subtitle is Affirming Others with a God-Centeredness. You know, I was thinking about this here. What do you know about flies? What are flies attracted to? The flies kind of swarm to nasty things, right? When you open the dumpster out there in the summer, flies will come out because they are attracted to trash. It's nasty, right? And there's people like that, aren't there? Aren't they? People who just seem to be attracted to the dirt on people, the negative. They can only see what's wrong, right? But what do you know about a bee? What are bees attracted to? The beauty of a flower, right? They have this little homing device here, and they signal it to others uh, uh, where they can find the nectar. They're, they're attracted to the, to, the, to the flower, and God designed them that way to produce the honey. And, and by the way, the only thing flies produce is maggots and more flies. <laughs> Bees produce something that's useful for all of us, right? <laughs> the difference between a fly and a bee is the bee's attracted to what's good. Be the bee, Right? That would be the moral lesson here for us. But the gospel truth under that is because God has chosen to see what is good in us. And so I have a few applications here for you. I'm going to ask you about them next week. And they're this. First of all, I'm going to give a short time here, two minutes. And I want you to think of an individual that you need to thank God for. And I want you to thank God for a specific person for a specific way you have seen God's grace work in their life. The second thing I'm going to ask you to do here is this week, I want you to either speak or write a note to three people. First of all, start in the circle of your own family, and then go outside of that, at least three people here, that you will share with them how you have seen God's grace evident at work in their lives. Even if it's an unbeliever. I'm going to ask you about it next week. And then next week, I'm also going to ask you, how many of you received that from other people in our own congregation? Let's take a couple minutes and thank God for that specific person and the grace that you've shown in their life.
Lord, we thank you for uh, the example in your creation of a, of a honeybee. Um, I was attracted to what is good. Lord, I pray that the specific people that each of us just prayed for would be encouraged. Help us to let those people know that we prayed for them and we thank God for that specific grace that you've shown working in their lives. I pray that you would help us not to be uh, lazy or um, uh, push, push, uh, push away here the um, simple applications here of letting uh, people know um, how we've seen God, God's grace at work in their lives. Lord, first of all, we know that we love because you first loved us. And the things that you provided for us, you provided for the Corinthians. And if you can say it to the Corinthians, you can say it to us. And we thank you for Paul's example and testimony here in that. Lord, I ask that that would overflow now. You've filled our hearts, you've filled our souls so full of who you are, whether we realize it or not, whether our eyes are dead into that or not. And I pray you'd open our eyes and hearts, enlarge our hearts with thankfulness to you and see that flow into the lives of others. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your kindness to others. Help us to see that. Help us not to believe the lies that the devil will tell us that this for men is just for women. Lord, we have some of the strongest men in the Word of God. Jesus, who gives these words to this church, and Paul, who gave his life for the gospel here, who shares his thankfulness for these people. Pray that you not allow the devil to use discouragement in our lives to try and cause division to advance his cause, but to bring your unity to advance your cause. I pray that you would heal marriages. Think of so many marriages and couple in particular here that I know are hurting and have been because people have not practiced affirmation, appreciated God's grace, their spouse and their life. Help us not to be a people who are ungrateful and practice ingratitude and just assume your goodness, but a people who are responsive to it. Lord, I pray for uh, harboring bitterness and um, the discontentment, Lord, that you would uh, ex- you would you expose that and root that out through a heart of grace, Lord. It was the servant who uh, um, uh, could could not remember the great debt that he owed that you paid. That was the one who was quick to be like the fly. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who have remembered that we have been redeemed in Christ. We have experienced the grace of Christ's forgiveness in us. And if Christ can forgive us, he can forgive anybody. Help us to leave our, altar, our, our, our sacrifices at the altar and put ourselves on the altar for first. Take care of that business. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, so, three people. I'm going to ask you all next week if you received any of those encouragements. Dennis, will you lead us?